Welcome back to the Biblical Eldership Podcast here with Alex Strauch talking about the book Biblical Eldership. We are uh, going to cover chapter three today, shared leadership. Acts 14, 23, they had appointed elders for them in every church. Alex, you start with this quote uh, from James, the great James Montgomery Boyce, who said, it is significant that in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit never seemed to have led anyone to appoint merely one elder or one bishop in a place. It is always elders, plural, or bishops, plural. Isn't that an interesting quote about the Holy Spirit never seemed to lead anyone to do that? I thought that was a a great insight. This is a hard chapter, and it's a long chapter, one of the longest chapters. And I hope we can do a good job trying to explain this idea that elders are equal, there's parity, and at the same time, there's functional diversity. Uh, That can be very um, um, complex to people. When I did the first edition, I used the term first among equals. I think it's a good term, but people got very confused, misinterpreted it, misused it. And so in this book, I do not use that term except once, and I explain it. But the idea is there. Among a group of equals, some stand out more than others because of their giftedness and leading of the Lord. You start off with the equality and functional diversity among the 12 apostles. Let's just cover that again. Uh, Just remind us again of the equality among the apostles. I think to understand this concept, um, I think we have the model right in front of us with the 12 apostles. There are 12 apostles. They're all called apostles. They're all sent out to teach and lead. But among the 12 apostles, three stand out, Peter, James, and John, sometimes Andrew. Among the three, there is Peter, who is the person who is the initiator. He is the mouthpiece. Uh, He is the natural leader. There is no question about that. So we have a model of what we mean by equality. And within the council of elders, you have diversity based on really spiritual giftedness. And the same thing's true of the council of elders. So you have this equality among the apostles. You, you, know, you quote uh, Acts 6, the, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples. It's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word. Uh, there's, there, there's clearly an equality among the elders and then a diversity, uh, a, a role of function among uh, the apostles. Uh, you say here, undoubtedly, Jesus had no difficulty in teaching equality among the apostles and simultaneously acknowledging diversity of giftedness and leadership influence within the apostolic team. Yes. Uh, seems to be a very important point. So the, the, the apostolic example really becomes the prototype for, for the elders. That's what you're saying. Uh, no special title or rank either. What's what's interesting is that the Gospels give Peter no special title, uh, no exclusive title to differentiate you know him from the other apostles. It's it, it's curious. It's an interesting thing. It's very uh, most people don't even see that uh, that he is an apostle just like the other. He's apostles. a brother. They call him Peter. He's Peter. He's yeah. brother Peter, and he doesn't take on pope or bishop or anything like that. Yeah, this harkens. This comes out hundreds of years later that all of these, this hierarchy, this uh, distinction in titles uh, really develops hundreds of years later. Yeah, again, that Matthew 23 passage where Jesus says, You are all brothers. 
It's, it's a great passage that uh, what Jesus is saying there is don't be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Don't be like the scribes. They love clothes and uh, special titles. You're not going to be that right, way. Right, right. Well, let's look at then the equality and functional diversity among the elders. Uh, we, we see the pattern with the apostles, and then we see the same pattern with this council of elders uh, over and over again. Um, again, that Acts 20, 28, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. Let's talk about equality here. Or I love the word you use, parity. Um, talk to me about this parity in the yes, elders. Yes, well, parity simply is another word for equality. So all elders have uh, been placed in the flock as overseers. All elders are able to give instruction in sound doctrine. All elders are to uh, meet the same biblical qualifications. And all elders bear the title elder and are to go and visit the sick. And uh, all of these show um, equality. All elders are to be appreciated, esteemed, loved, honored, protected. You say at the uh, top of page 47, I love this. Equality means that each elder is qualified to instruct in sound doctrine and defend gospel truth, uh, perhaps to different degrees of competency. Administer the Lord's Supper, participate fully in decision-making, setting uh, church policy, lead in public prayer, anoint the sick with oil. All are equally accountable to one another and cannot act against the group's wishes. Each can bear the designation elder overseer pastor i think this is hard for a lot of people to understand but that's a great explanation of what equality parity means and uh again we're so used to clergy and laity hierarchy hierarchy where one person makes the ultimate decision he may have advisors and helpers well this gets to a very interesting and i think relevant uh, question that a lot of churches are asking and a lot of elders ask i know we get this question a lot but on just terminology. Uh, are terms important? What terms do we use for different people? Uh, talk to me. I mean, you get into this in the book, but but talk about terminology. Well, terminology is essential to our philosophy or our theology. Uh, words are important. Uh, how we use titles are important. And so what I am saying here is that there is uh, – equality among the elders and consequently one elder is not called the senior pastor and the other elders called the lay uh, elders that's normally what people uh, speak about however it is not biblical and our point is biblical eldership and so in a biblical eldership we have to be very careful of the terminology and the uh, distinctions we use in our terminology it's a wonderful quote there by Samuel uh, Waldron. Would you read that quote there? Yeah, he says, There is therefore no terminolo terminological or official distinction made between the pastor or the bishop and the rest of the elders. Indeed, there is no terminological or official distinction of any kind to be found in the New Testament in which one of the elders is given a title or said to possess an office that the others don't. The straightforward... And one would think obvious implication of this patent biblical fact is that all hold the same office and have equal authority. What a yes, quote. That's a wonderful quote. And he's done a lot of good work in this area. And he's very, very scriptural, very scriptural. Um, really, what we're talking about now is almost foreign to most believers. Uh, 
And uh, if we want a biblical eldership, then we need to get our terminology straight. Either call all the elders elders, call them all shepherd elders or pastor elder, call them all pastors, and that way you don't have this automatic division among them. It's interesting to me that really the one time senior pastor comes up in the New Testament is when Peter calls Jesus the yes. senior pastor, the chief shepherd of yeah, the church. Yeah, isn't that interesting? He's the only one who's the senior pastor. So there's an equality. We're with you. Um, what about functional diversity among the elders? Yes, this has to be understood also. Um Within the eldership, there's a, a rich diversity of verbal skills, leadership ability, biblical knowledge, time availability, degrees of te teaching competency. Uh, some elders are more outspoken. Some are more quiet. Uh, some are uh, just natural leaders. Uh, some have great personalities. Some are more reflective. Uh, some are more pastoral. Some are more evangelistic. Every elder contributes his own giftedness and talent to the group. Uh, of course, the major uh, teaching on this, and I, I believe you get into this in detail later on in the book, but is 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. How, how, how does that passage uh, um, bear weight on this subject and, and explain and really instruct us on this? Well, here's a clear example of diversity within the body of elders. Some elders uh, labor, and labor is the key word there, and we will have a whole podcast on this, labor in preaching and in teaching and thus receive double honor, which has twofold honor, which has the idea of respect, honor, and then um, compensation of some uh, physical kind. So not all elders are ruling well, in other words. No, and that's just normal to life. Some are more influential. Some have greater giftedness, greater interest. So some elders lead well, some labor in preaching and teaching. Yet, without a hierarchy with the person who's laboring, and it's, notice it's plural, those who labor in uh, preaching and teaching, um, they don't become uh, the final decision maker or the leader and the others become the assistants or advisors, which is normally what happens. One of the obvious applications of this is that it really means that every elder is going to have a different job description. That's that right. right. So some elders are going to be laboring and leading, teaching. You've got some elders who are going to be doing other things but all elders should be able to open their bibles and teach basic christian truth answer basic questions lead people to christ lead a bible study teach a bible study maybe preach from the pulpit but some among the elders will be gifted to be uh teachers of the entire congregation some people are very good in teaching teens, or they're good at teaching seniors, but the pulpit teacher normally reaches saved and unsaved, mature, immature, and that kind of ministry builds the church and draws people. So you have, really, Paul, it seems to envision or have an idea of leaders among leaders, uh, first among equals, you, you alluded to this or mentioned this, but first in prominence among his brothers, not, not over them, which is very, very important. 
Um, and then we see in the Old Testament, you mentioned this, there's leaders of thousands, leaders of 50, you have leaders of 10. Right. Uh, in other words, not every leader is a leader in the same sense, the same degree or same right. capacity. Right. Some people can lead 1,000 people, 5,000 people. Some people, 50 is all they can take. Nothing wrong with that. We're all made differently. Well, to your point later on, top of page 50, elders should be grateful for the contribution of of each one. God has done this. God has designed this. Uh, we're not all alike. And that's why we have to be careful of jealousy, which is a very natural thing among the elders. Why does he get to preach at the pulpit more than other elders? Or why do more people go to him? Well, that's just what happens based on one's uh, giftedness and calling by God. We should all be supporting one another and thankful for one another's gifts. So the big point here is there's no formal hierarchy within the eldership. That's right. Now, you've got a tremendous quote here by, again, the great professor uh, John Murray. He says, plurality is written in the boldest letters in the pages of the New Testament, and singularity bears the hallmark of, despite to Christ's institution. The principle of parity or equality is coordinate with that of plurality. Strictly speaking, there can be no plurality if there's not parity. For if one is in the least degree above the others, then in respect to that hegemony, that superior authority, there is no longer plurality. Plurality applies to all government of the church, and there must therefore be parity in the plurality. There is not the slightest evidence in the New Testament that among the elders there was any hierarchy. The elders exercised government in unison and on a parity with one another. What a quote. Yes, um, it's a little difficult. Uh, it's written a little older English, but it is a very powerful quotation, which I would in uh, encourage our readers to go over it and meditate on it. But what um, uh, John Murray is saying is very simple. You cannot have plurality if you don't have equality. Because if you don't have equality, then you have something other, which is a leader with assistance helpers, advisors, which is what you have, and many people call that plurality, but it's not plurality. Right. It's, they're yes men. They yes. just go along with the senior pastor, and he kind of sets the direction, and we all just agree with them. And, and it's temporary. And when you're told you serve for three years or four years, you already have in your mind, well, I'm temporary. Robin, I have been called by the Holy Spirit, placed by the Holy Spirit, Acts 20, 28, to be an overseer for the very purpose of shepherding God's flock. So, this is a very important quotation. To have true plurality, you must have equality among the members. One Great of, quotation. One of the most interesting parts of this book, and I, I'm so glad you bring it out, but there are extremes with uh, – with this of of no formal hierarchy within the eldership talk to me about the two extremes two directions that churches can go yes either they go to the one unbiblical uh extreme of sacralizing one gifted elder making him in effect the protestant priest the ordained clergyman, the minister of the word, the one who alone can bless and preach the word, administer the Lord's Supper, wear clerical garments, and take the title reverend. That's one extreme. You do not have plurality there. The other extreme is to force complete uniformity on the elders, allowing for no special giftedness, calling, function, uh, financial provision, 
So we have to come back to 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, an extremely central core passage in biblical eldership. So we want to avoid both extremes, right. sacralizing someone, uh, making them the holy person, and making them the reverend. It's a whole different class of people, right, by the way. It's right. a third office. It, it then, makes the, the elder simply uh, their uh, assist, uh, really what they turn out to be advisors. Right. And then the other extreme is just an imbalanced parody, an extreme right. kind of parody. Uh, let's talk about reasons for leadership by multiple elders. I think this is a, probably an aspect of the book that people might initially resonate with. We kind of, even culturally, this has become more and more normative to see the value of teams, the value of plurality. Uh, but let's talk about uh, some of the reasons for this. By the way, that's a good point you've made. Actually, the whole doctrine of eldership has had a revival in the last, I would say, 30 years. All over the world, there is a new interest in plural elder leadership. They may not understand it. They may not even be able to uh, initiate it uh, because of uh, very hardened traditions, but there is a real interest in this subject. So why would we have multiple elders? What are, what are the advantages? Well, one of the benefits, and maybe the most important, is accountability. Now, if there is any people on this earth who should believe in accountability and shared leadership, it should be Christians, because our Bibles tell us that the human race has fallen, there's sin, there's moral corruption, there's self-deceit, there's pride, there's Satan, human depravity. I mean, we know how broken the human race is. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Yes, we can do some terrible things. But one of the great benefits of a plurality is you have peers, not just employees or staff, peer relationships so that people can look you in the face and say, you are not going to do that. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you give another reason the local church, lo local congregation is to be a close-knit family of brothers and sisters. I mean, that's another reason. Uh, you mentioned the, the hard work of shepherding a well, congregation. Well, David, just one second. That what point you just made is brought out again in our Matthew 23 passage. Uh, you are brothers. Uh, there, there's such an emphasis, sometimes paragraph after paragraph in Paul, brothers, right, brothers, right. which includes sisters. Right. The close-knit family, brotherhood, and sisterhood, and eldership really promotes that and harmonizes yeah. with that. Oh, good. Uh, you mentioned the hard work of shepherding a congregation of people is shared by several qualified shepherds. Well, think of when you have to go through church discipline. Who would want to be no, alone in that? That's right. Uh, and <laughs> people right. get tired. They get worn out. Right. And so at different times, different elders will take the lead on an issue or problem. And so one time you may take the lead in dealing with a sin problem or a confrontational problem. Another time I might take the lead in dealing with a college and career group and some things that need to be changed there. So we help one another and support one another and all the way – does not fall on one person. Yeah, it's a good point that that elders need to be pastored. Uh, yes, we we need each other in this to care front confront. Um, we need each other. There's a there's a blessing that comes from 
from the camaraderie and just the team Well, aspect. one of the greatest joys of my life has been to serve with a group of elders for many decades. And uh, we've been through ups and downs and we've had real disagreements and um, words with one another. But in the end, we practice those four principles of Jesus. And that is humility, servanthood, uh, brotherly equality, and love. If, if we don't practice those virtues, we will not make yeah. it. We'll walk away from each other and get our feelings hurt. Right, right. Fourth one you mentioned was uh, that, that team leadership can provide an elder with, with critically needed balance against his faults and deficiencies. And I can hear all the people listening to this in their cars giving <laughs> a hearty amen uh, to this. But this is a huge uh, plus, a huge pro uh, to having uh, a team is that you've we've got blind spots, we've got eccentricities, some weird aspects, all of us, and uh, we have flaws that we don't naturally see in ourselves. It's it's we we actually need uh, our brothers to help us in this. Well, Proverbs says, "Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another, and whoever walks with wise men becomes wise." We need each other far more than we will ever realize because we have these blind spots, eccentricities. We all have imperfections. Right. We have what C.S. Lewis called fatal flaws. Right. Everyone sees it but us. Right. Uh, the last one you mentioned is that Jesus left his disciples with the precious promise that where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Why did you mention that one? Well, you know, I heard of one church. In fact, I read about this church that at every elders meeting, they have an empty chair and people will come in and say, well, what's the empty chair for? Oh, that reminds us Jesus is present with us. And so he's our leader. He's a king. He's the ruler. We're just under shepherds. And uh, this is emphasized in the New Testament. I'm reading a book by John Stott now on Christ, our focus. And when you realize in everything we do, he is ruler and head and Lord and shepherd and teacher and overseer and high priest and king, um, we are just simply his under shepherds. We want to keep Christ central in our churches. And I think this is a nice way it figures this, uh, that we are led by a council of godly, qualified people Jesus is Lord. And even if team leadership wasn't trending right now, uh, even if it wasn't culturally popular, which it happens to be, I mean, the fact that Jesus, Peter, Paul, James taught this uh, should be enough for us. That's right. Let's talk about some faulty examples of the one pastor rule. Uh, and let's start with just some, you, you list a number of uh, examples from uh, the New Testament. Uh, starting with uh, uh, Timothy, uh, people want to say that Timothy was, you know, they'll use him as an example of the one pastor rule. Well, uh, if you just read your New Testament, Timothy was not in any sense a traditional pastor at Ephesus. He was an apostolic legate, he, an apostolic representative. Timothy is constantly traveling, travels uh, tens of thousands of miles, and he is Paul's assistant. And... Uh, so he is not a permanent, uh, formal pastor of the church in Ephesus. He was on special assignment, given apostolic authority to discipline and to work. Okay, well, what about Epaphras, someone might say? Well, he's a missionary evangelist, and uh, he started these churches here in Colossae. And uh, 
uh, when uh, Paul writes here, he's in Rome. So he's not even there in the church. And because we have these uh, apostolic representatives listed, doesn't tell us anything about the governance of the church because Timothy is at Ephesus, but we know uh, there were elders at Ephesus. Okay, I'll grant you Timothy, grant you Epaphras. What about James? Well, James is an apostle. He's also the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. He's a very unique man. And uh, here's something interesting. We're not giving the title for him. He's not called the right. Bishop of Jerusalem. He's not called the Elder of Jerusalem. He's one of the pillars, right. not the pillar. Right, right. Uh, Galatians 2.9. So I would say James is an outstanding leading man in Jerusalem. And I would uh, say, like in the Jerusalem Council, Acts 15, he is definitely one of the most outspoken, well-respected brothers. And it's not clear. Was he one of the elders or was he one of the apostles? Because it says the apostles and elders met together. My guess would be he'd be one of the elders. But that's a guess. Well, here's another argument for the senior or the sole uh, single pastor rule, and that's the the angelos, the angels of the churches. What would you say to that? I would say they're angels. And, and in the interpretation, we're told they're angels. And if you go throughout the book of Revelation, you'll see angels is used. Um, you quote Grant Osborne. Yes, he's, he points out that angels throughout the apocalypse uh, over 60 times always refers to heavenly beings. By the way, there's two PhD doctorates uh, written on this subject, both concluding that they're angels. Even if they're not angels, they're messengers. We still don't know the governance of the church, whether it was plural or singular. So it's what I would call an obscure passage, and we shouldn't build our theology of church on of this uh, passage. Okay, now I'm going to give you probably the most popular argument against biblical eldership, and it's called the Moses model. Well, when I first wrote biblical eldership back in the uh, mid-80s, that was the first thing I got. Uh, a man was commissioned by a certain denomination, and his whole thesis was the Moses model. Each local church should be led by one man, if he wants elders, that's fine. If he doesn't want elders, that's fine. Elders are simply uh, assistants, advisors. That's all they are. Just like Moses led the children of Israel, every local church should be led by one man, the Moses model. And uh, the person who wrote this to me and, and, and published it, all I can say, it was almost ridiculous he just basically took things from the Old Testament and totally applied it on the New and just ignored everything in the New Testament that disagreed with the Moses model. Yeah, I mean, the big problem, not to be sarcastic, but the biggest problem with this view would just be Scripture. Uh, it ignores the didactic, clear passages in Acts and Philippians and 1 Timothy, Titus, James, etc., um, 1 Peter. Well, it doesn't just ignore it. It rejects all these <laughs> right. uh, passages right. that we've looked at. The core passages, the didactic passage, just ignores them. Or I've seen writers just change the plural to the singular. So you read in First uh, Peter 5, to the elder. Uh, not to the elder, to the elder. They just change the uh, uh, words. One of the big problems with the Moses model is that it really offers little to no accountability uh, under this structure. 
this is this is a bad idea. It's a very bad idea because we know how corrupt the human heart is. You give someone complete control over the finances and over the programs and over the decisions. It's just a matter of time before corruption enters in. We need accountability. We need counsel. And uh, even the world knows it's not right. good to put too right. much authority in one man's hands. Right. I'll give a little warning here, too. There's churches that will, on paper, say, hey, we love biblical, biblical eldership. We use, we use the book. We, uh, we promote it. We ask our elders to read it. But when it comes down to it, they actually still function like a Moses model. They'll have, quote, unquote, biblical eldership, but it's not a true biblical eldership. It's still a, a, a chieftain Moses type model. Some people call it the king uh, pastor model. And he makes the ultimate decision. He does almost all the preaching and nothing happens without his permission. Right. And really, there's not colleagueship, which is a different orientation to leadership. And it's interesting how people back up and back away when this one person has this much incredible authority. You know, he's the man of God. He's the anointed. Um, people will not compete with that. It isn't true brotherhood, and it's definitely not plurality. This next one, I've, I've only heard a few times people have brought this up to me, but it's the one elder per house church suggestion. What are your thoughts on this? Well, um, this is an example of something's repeated enough, it becomes fact. It's not fact. Uh, so the theory is this, and it's a pure th speculation. Um, in the city of Ephesus, there would have been many house churches. Each house church had one elder, and occasionally all those uh, house church elders would meet as a group, and that's the eldership. Uh, they're not an eldership over an individual church, but they're an eldership over the city church. So there's the city church and there's house churches. I would just answer this, first of all, by saying it's speculation, it's guesswork. And we, I have a funny quote here um, by uh, Wayne Grudem, where he says, yes, well, each of the elders in this city were one-eyed elders. That's about as much in <laughs> facts uh, that you have for this city church, house church. Now, maybe there was such a thing, but we don't know. The Bible doesn't say anything about it. There is absolutely no proof or reason even why there would be one elder per house church. First of all, that's not eldership. Eldership as a system of government is always colleagueship. But why can't there be two elders, three elders? I've been in several house churches, spoken in house churches, and they've had two and three elders. I've even been in house churches where every man's an elder. They work as a, a team. They're qualified. So there is no reason to say one elder per house church. And uh, it's just guesswork. Last one you mentioned is the one pastor teacher view. Comment on this. Yes. Uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 11, and 12. Uh, he lists the fivefold gifts there. Uh, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Now, this is a grammatical issue. Uh, Daniel Wallace did his PhD thesis on the grammar of this particular construction, the, L, the shepherds and teachers. By the way, I noticed the new ESV has changed it from pastors to shepherds. The shepherds and teachers. Um, what he would say is this. The grammar teaches that shepherds is a subset 
of teachers. All shepherds are teachers. Shepherds is a twofold gift, feeding and leading, teaching and governing. Teachers are just teachers. They don't have to be shepherds. So, for example, there were many itinerant teachers who traveled all through the churches. We have wonderful teachers today who teach in seminaries and Bible schools, uh, but they have no interest in the governance of the church or the pastoral ministry of the church. So, some people limit this passage only to the ordained clergy, or they limit it to uh, full-time people, but it's broader than that. I love what you said at the top of page 58. We should not expect that every elder is a spirit-gifted shepherd any more than every elder is a spirit-gifted teacher or evangelist or That's exhorter. Right. That's right. Uh, nor should we restrict these gifted persons only to church officers. That's right. Even uh, George Knight, a Presbyterian, a great scholar, George Knight says, uh, "Do not necessarily. This does not necessarily refer to those in the office of the church." So we just narrow this down to again. We're looking for uh, this uh, sacred person. So many call him the the minister of the word. But why can there only be one minister of the, of the, of the word in a church? I, I can't even understand that. I think of our own church. We have men that have full-time jobs, but they're ministers of the word. They have evangelistic Bible studies. Uh, they have studies at work. They're ministers of the word. It's insulting them. Alex, I'm going to ask you a difficult question uh, as it relates to the gift of pastor. Uh, some people might be asking this. This has certainly been a relevant question in the last couple decades. But what about women? Can women, even if they agree, they don't have the, uh, can't have the office, possess the office of uh, pastor, elder? Uh, can they be gifted as as pastors? Well, they certainly can be gifted as teachers. We all know that in our churches, we have wonderful women who teach children and teach women. Um, uh, I don't really know how to answer that question. I don't. I wouldn't uh, be against it, uh, just so long as they do not take on the uh, eldership role. Uh, women can shepherd women. I don't see any problem with that at right, all. Right, right. It, it's not clear. Right. There's uh, so, a lot more um, latitude in these things than we often give to it. You have some closing thoughts. Uh, you mentioned a central tenet of sound biblical hermeneutics is to build one's doctrine on the clear core teaching passages on the subject in question, not on secondary, speculative, irrelevant, or obscure passages. In other words, let the clear didactic passages interpret the unclear and obscure and let the core teaching uh, control the peripheral uh, any other thoughts on just this chapter? And, and Well, uh, I hope people understand the profundity of this, that we don't build our doctrine of church governance on the angel found in Revelation 2. <laughs> right. We don't build it on the Moses model, which is not even in the New Testament and contradicts the New Testament. These are obscure uh, places to go to build a doctrine or build a doctrine on one elder per house church is not even right it's just guesswork you're right. building doctrine on guesswork the way to build doctrine of the governance of the church the pastoral leadership of the church is to go to the core clear 
didactic passage, Acts 14.23, Acts 20.17 and following, Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, 1 Timothy 3, 1-7, 1, 1 Timothy 5.17-25, Titus 1.5-9, James 5, 1 Peter 5. I go to those passages and build the doctrine, not to these uh, speculative uh, passages about Moses and angels. Something's wrong there. Alex, I think this chapter... Uh, probably more than any other chapter in the book, really confronts our traditions. And uh, I love what you say there. I mean, we're, we tend to be skeptical about uh, the Scripture's teachings. It's, it, it's hard for us to change our traditions. And so I think the exhortation here is to, you know, it's like the uh, Reformation motto, Semper Reformanda, Let's get back to what the scriptures teach. Let's let's be willing to reform back to what the Bible teaches. And that's what I would exhort all you brothers listening to this is, are you willing? Do you have the courage to say, you know what? Uh, we're off in this area. Our traditions have gotten the best. We're not even sure why we do it this way or why it's structured this way. Uh, let's get back to what the scriptures teach about shared leadership if Peter and Paul had charged the senior pastor or priest to shepherd God's flock, uh, would anyone object or try to interpret their words, you ask? I, I love that. Surely we wouldn't. Uh, and yet, here I think a lot of, of pastors, elders, churches are confronted with pretty clear teaching of what the Bible is saying. Uh, will we bend the knee? Will we come underneath the Word of God or will we stand over it? You know, it's a very difficult thing to change a church's tradition. For all of us, I, I include myself, you're comfortable with the way you do things, you're familiar with it, you've done it for years, and then someone faces you with, but that's not actually what the Bible right, says. Right. It's very hard to change. And that's why in a church you need good teachers and leaders who can skillfully lead people on to greater truth uh, to more accurate truth. And that does take skill and it takes patience and it often takes years. Yeah. I love the attitude of, you know what, wherever the scriptures go, wherever they lead, we want to go. We, we want to have the attitude in our churches. I know we say this regularly. We, we don't have it all figured out. We want to we bend the knee to Christ, come underneath apostolic authority and be amicable, amiable, pliable uh, to where the word is. Uh, is clear where, where it's teaching us, where it's leading us. I think of the chapters we've looked at and what we will look at, I think this may be one of the most difficult for people, especially the terminology battle. Uh, people are so committed to uh, the holy man, the anointed, uh, the senior pastor, um, the uh, person who uh, has had uh, education and uh, certificates, we're so used to that, that when you say, no, the uh, governance of the church resides in the body of elders, it just doesn't sound right to them. Right. So this is hard, and you have to be prayerful and open your Bibles and see it yourself in the Bible. Now, everything we said in this chapter, we're going to go, go over in right. – in individual verses. So nothing here is being passed by where we go into it in more depth. You know, that's a great point for people listening to this is that these first, I don't know how many chapters it is, you're really giving kind of a summary right. of, of what will follow with deeper exegesis later in the book. Yes. Yeah, so if you have a problem with this chapter, which I would imagine right. most people would, 
just be patient. This is a summary. This is a summary, and we will go into each passage. I think as you go through all these passages, it will just convict you and guide you, and you'll say, I cannot argue with this. It's just too much. Well, Alex, thanks for a good summary of Shared Leadership Chapter 3. Uh, in the next episode, we'll look at uh, qualified leadership in Chapter 4. You know, we may have sound a little negative here. There is such a positive note to share the pastoral leadership of a church with a group of peers, uh, with a group of colleagues. Uh, I don't want to miss that point that it's a joy, it's a comfort. I've had people ask, how have you last so long? Well, because I've never been alone. I've been with some other very good men, and we're still together after some of us uh, 50 years together. You know, to double down on that, I, I would say one of the greatest blessings in my life has been the weekly meeting with our elders and going over things. We say, we say once a week to each other, imagine doing this alone. Uh, it's un, it's unfathomable. You would you'd cry yourself to sleep. You well, I last. just heard just recently a statistic. I don't know if it's true that the average pastor only lasts seven years. Well, they just get beat up so it's amazing bad. they can last that long. Yes. seriously, people uh, can be very cruel. And when you have a team of equals and you bear it together, it's much easier. Amen. Shared leadership is a tremendous blessing. One of the great blessings of my life. So thanks for saying that. Thanks, David. Biblical Eldership Resources is committed to equipping church elders to help them be effective, godly leaders of the church. Please consider donating to the ministry so that we can continue to provide essential eldership resources for church elders around the world. To donate, go to biblicaleldership.com.